The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. How can a simple medical procedure change your whole life? And why do only some people experience such an eye-opening event? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to mention a bit of trivia Garrison Keillor talked about on this morning's Writer's Almanac. On this day in 1920, the Joseph Horn Company, a department store in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, started to sell ready-to-use radio receivers for $10.00 so folks could listen to the first licensed radio station in the U.S., KDKA in Pittsburgh. I mention it not only because my dad worked for Westinghouse Broadcasting, the company that started KDKA, or because I used to shop at Joseph Horn's when I was a teenager, but to acknowledge how far radio has come, especially with the intervention of the Internet. Today, a show like this is heard all over the world and is archived for future downloading. Back then, a man named Frank Conrad started KDKA by playing gramophone records over the air from his garage. And today, anyone with an Internet connection can broadcast from their garage or anywhere they choose to folks all over the world. Over 30 years ago, Diane Sherman went into the hospital to have a quick knee operation to repair damage from an accident. What resulted in that experience was life-changing. As she says, My knee was the least important part of me that got repaired. I didn't know I had to die in order to get a life. She found joy, purpose, and passion from being on the other side. She says she found a sense of herself in connection to everything, something she didn't even know existed. So here to tell you about that experience and how it changed her life is today's guest, Diane Sherman. Diane, welcome to NDE Radio. Good morning, Lee. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, and uh, thanks for doing the show on short notice. We had expected someone else to uh, to be on the air, and uh, her, because she's in Phoenix and the heavy rains washed out her phone connection, um, here you are. So, <laughs> welcome. I, I'm always thrilled to see how spirit works in our lives. Absolutely. It was meant to be. Uh, Diane, tell us uh, about your near-death experience. Well, it was pretty straightforward. As you said, I went in to have arthroscopic surgery on my knee, not a life-threatening surgery. And even though they needed to do more repair than they realized, uh, everything went well. And I, I finally got into recovery. And as I was waking up in recovery, there was a great deal of activity going on in the bed next to me. And I really didn't want to pay attention to it because I was still in my own state and unsure of where I was. But it was so compelling what was going on next to me as they were working on this person. Um, and I heard, that, I guess the thing that really got my attention is I heard them call this person by name, and her name was Diane, the same as mine. And they were saying, Diane, Diane, wake up, Diane, Diane, mm. wake up. And I was kind of, you know, drawn to that because of the fact that they were using my name. And and a little bit later, they started using her whole name and saying, Diane Sherman, Diane Sherman, wake up, wake up. And I realized they 
they were using my name, and I thought, oh, my gosh, they, they've made a mistake. They've got the wrong patient, the wrong name. And so I'm saying to them, hey, I'm, I'm right here. I'm fine. I'm Diane Sherman. You've got the wrong person. But they're not paying attention to me. And I guess it's because, you know, they're, they're trying to save this person's life, this woman's life. Well, the next thing I know, I'm at the bottom of her bed, my bed, and I'm looking at them working on her, me, and there was no connection, Lee. There was absolutely no connection to me in the bed to where I was, standing at the bottom of the bed, watching. Mm. And the next thing I knew, I floated up into sort of the corner of the of the ceiling of the room, and I'm overlooking them working on me. And, you know, it was as neutral as if somebody had said, pass the salt. There was no fear. There was no anxiety. There was no worry. There was no questioning. It was just kind of like, okay, whatever. And I I was amazed that my mind could watch this and not freak out because I was kind of a nervous individual to begin with. And the next thing I realized, I was being kind of pulled out of the room and now going towards this blackness, this abject blackness. And when I was a kid, I was terrified of the dark. And so going into this darkness, this blackness was just horrific to me. And I can remember arching my back. And every time I think about it or tell the story, my body arches, kind of preventing myself from going into it. But I thought, if I can just find a glimmer of light, just a glimmer of light, I'll know I'm not blind, I'll know I'm okay. And and so I just kept searching. And as I'm searching, there was a glimmer of light, and I just fixated on this glimmer of light. It was way, way, way out in front of me. But I thought, as long as I can hold on to that glimmer, I'm going to be okay. And as I'm watching it, it's starting to grow. And it's getting bigger, and it's coming closer, and it's getting bigger, and it's coming closer. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm in this light, this, this amazing light that's surrounding me, that's everything. The light is everything. And I'm now moving into it more and more. And as I'm moving into it, it's like being in all these diaphanous clouds that all you can see is this, this brilliant light that I don't even have the verbiage to describe. I'm moving forward, and the light is opening at the end in front of me. It's it's parting, and I see two rows of beings, and they're dressed in monk's robes, brown monk's robes with the hoods up, and I'm like floating between them, and I get to the end, and the one at the end on the left steps forward, and he speaks to me, and I always say he because he had that that male energy of the of a fatherly figure, of someone who is in charge, of someone who would take care. And I immediately felt all this unconditional love rushing in around me with these beings and being in this light. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced in my whole whole world. Um I was feeling cherished at a level I I didn't know existed but always had wanted that kind of connection. I I felt like I had come home, Lee, for the first time in my life to myself, to everything that I knew, to the connections that I'd always wanted. I mean, I was married and divorced and had a had a six year old daughter 
And even with those connections, it couldn't compare to what I was experiencing in that moment. I just felt all this unconditional love around me. And he looked at me. I say he looked. There was no face in the hood. It was just, it was just energy. But as he's facing me and he's speaking to me, and when I say speaking, it was like we were communicating within each other. There was no outside sound. He said, it's not your... T- it's not your time. You must go back. And I said, what? He said, it's not your time. You must go back. You cannot stay. And I said, I just found home. I just found bliss. You can't send me back. He said, you have a daughter. It's not your time. You cannot stay. You must go back. And I'm begging and pleading. And he repeated it to me again, and I started thinking about my daughter. And my parents were both deceased. Um, I really didn't feel good about her being with, with her dad. That's why we'd gotten a divorce. I didn't feel my sister was well-balanced enough to to love her and, and care for her in the way she needed. And as I was thinking about who would love her the way I wanted her to be loved, I was back in my body. And then I awakened in my hospital room, and I knew that I'd been changed forevermore. I didn't know what had happened because I had no reference point for near-death experience. I'd never heard the expression. It was 1981. Um, I wasn't sure I hadn't had a dream, or it was the anesthesia, or I was losing my mind, but I felt differently. And as the days went on, I realized that I was different. You know, I was experiencing things with other people psychically that I had no way of having before. And the doctor said that he'd never seen anybody heal as fast as I did. I was up that night walking on crutches, and the lady who was sharing the hospital room with me was in such pain, and she was on a lot of medication, and she had far less surgery than I had, and I was on no medication. So it clearly was an amazing experience for me, and one I am so very grateful to have had, even though it's taken me years to reconcile what it all meant and what I was supposed to do with it. Who was the first person you told about this um, experience? That's a good question. Uh, A very dear friend was the first person I told. Was it much well, uh, much I, time passed between your yeah. having the experience and telling her? Yes, years, years. Mm. It it took me years to pull it together. You know, I one of the dictates that I said for myself if I was going to be here on the planet again was I had to find a way to connect to source, to spirit, to the universe in a way that felt somewhat blissful. I had to have some of that touchstone back, otherwise I I just couldn't handle the pain of being here. And so I found people that taught me how to meditate and taught me how to um, work with crystals and different things and how to take, you know, out-of-body journeys. And so as that was occurring, these were the people I was talking to. Now, I never said, oh, I had a near-death experience and this is what happened, because I didn't know what it was probably for the first 10 years. Mm. 
uh, you know, bits and pieces came back. Uh, I didn't have it clearly embedded inside of me like so many people do when they come back. My psyche, I think, buried it uh, because I think I would have lost my mind if I had thought that's what had occurred. So things came back gently in bits and pieces until I could, you know, pull it together. Now that you know more about it, do you think that uh, the blackness that you first experienced was what uh, some people have experienced as a distressing NDE, they call it a DNDE, um, you know, or a, a, a frightening NDE? Oh, no, no. I think it was just going into the tunnel, but because I had this this thing from childhood of fear of the, of the dark, you know, uh, that was scary to me, but... The process itself wasn't scary at all. It was it was gentle and loving and kind. It was just my own internal machinations that took me to that place. Were there any beings that you saw as you went into that darkness? No. The only beings that I saw were were these two rows. They were like six on either side. Um of these energy beings dressed in the monks' robes, and was there any sort of any sort of life review uh, in your experience? No, I did not have that. Hmm. Although you know, when you're in that position, you know everything. You don't get to hold on to all of it, but you know everything and how it works. And what did you bring back with you? Did do you remember any of the? Uh, information you gained when you were there? Well, of course, the the things that stood out the most for me was that we are unconditionally loved, no matter who and how we are, no matter how we show up, we are unconditionally loved, and that we are not judged on any level. And that was one of the things that was really profound for me, because I was raised in a religion that was quite judgmental and fear-based and lots of rules and regulations. And this changed everything, you know, that that just seems so small in comparison to this expansive view I was having and this knowingness that I was privy to. And I realized that everything is connected to everything else. You know, everything we say and do affects everything and everybody in the world. So the dictate for me was to be the best version of myself I could be in every moment. Isn't it interesting how some religions uh, are like that, more fear-based than love-based and more exclusive rather than uh, inclusive? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's because of lack of knowledge. I think it's because they haven't had the experience of knowing that that's not how it works. I think they're thinking that this is the best thing they can do for people, you know, to get them to get in line and be cognizant of the rules and regulations of how to be a human being. Um, I don't think it's trusting that people have an innate goodness within them. You know, that was one of the most profound things for me when I came back is that I was able to see people in their essence, not in their facades, not in the stories, but in their essence. And, you know, it's so profound to me to be able to, to see people like that. It's humbling for me to be able to connect on that level. And my job, as I see it, is to mirror that back to them so that they get the sense of their own preciousness, their own magnificence. 
Now, what were you doing before um, you had the NDE, and how did it change your career path? Well, th- that was one of the things. You know, when I had the the near-death experience, um, I had kind of come to the end of what I had been doing. I'd been a model for 17 years, and I was just too old to continue doing that at that time. You know, things have now opened up for women uh, after a certain age, but at that time, it it pretty was pretty limited, and it was time for me to move on. And after my NDE, I realized that I had the ability to know information for people to help them shift gears in their lives, to to reframe how they were experiencing their lives, to help remove the blocks and barriers that they were experiencing. And, you know, I, I had this wonderful reading from an astrologer at one time, and he said, oh, you've got that thing in your chart that says you can't wait to give the good news. And I thought, wow, it's in my chart, you know, how everything lines up. And I thought, that's exactly how I felt. You know, I just wanted to come back and tell people what's what, you know, what's really what's really so, what's happening on the other side and, and what we can do with it here and that we don't have to be in pain and we don't have to be fearful of life and that, you know, we're here to have joy and we're here to love and connect with each other and to grow we're not here to experience all the trauma that we create for ourselves. And lastly, that life was happening through me at that point. I was able to create. It was no longer happening to me, so I didn't have to knee-jerk around anymore. Mm. It was like I had a recipe. It's interesting, you know, uh, th- these beings uh, that you that you met, said that you had to come back on account of your daughter. But, of course, yes. many people many people die who have children who, and the children have no good alternatives. So, in a way, your daughter was the, the reason they gave you for coming back, but perhaps it was, um, was more than that. It was, it was more what you were going to do when you came back that was important to them. It's very possible. Um, you know, even though... I love and adore my daughter, and she's now 39 years of age. I, I, did, I did not want to come back into my body. I didn't want to leave the divinity of those feelings. You know, they were so big and so yummy. But yet, you know, my love for her is what brought me back into my body, and it was absolutely perfect because I wouldn't have missed all of these years with her and now my grandchildren and all the experiences we've had. It's... It's just been such a joy. You know, I when didn't did know you, it at the time. When did you finally tell your daughter about your experience? Well, unfortunately, I told her um, when she was young. And I think the thing that, that she got from me, which was detrimental for her, is that here she had a mom who literally would have rather been on the other side. Mm. You know, I had to work... Um, psychologically for years to be okay being back here because there was so much I needed to clean up within myself. And when I finally realized what my my joy and passion and my work was going to be, then everything turned around for me. But it took me a long time to get to that place because I didn't trust that I could do the work that I'm doing now. You know, I help people transform their lives. And at the time, I... I was insecure. Um, I didn't have the self-confidence that I needed. I didn't trust my own worth. And, you know, what I realized through all these years, I, I did 
automatic writing with Mother Mary for about 15 years, and that was the thing that really healed me was, you know, the affirmations from Mother Mary that, you know, we're doing this with you. You're not doing it alone. Um, you know, you're a perfect child of God. It, it, it's right that you do this work because you have the heart for it, blah, 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 blah. You know, all these things that finally made me say, okay, I can do this and feel confident doing it. So you would suggest then that uh, people who have a near-death experience and young children not tell the children that they just as soon have stayed on the other side and not uh, and not return to them? Well, of course. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine what a child would process with that? And, and I, I didn't make her feel that I wanted to die. It wasn't about dying. It was just how divine it was on the other side compared to here. So I had to find a way to create heaven on earth for me here. And how does she feel about it today? You know, I'm not sure. Uh, we don't talk about it. Um, I think because it's been such a presence in her life for so long. I mean, when she was 19, her dad passed away. And so the thought of me, you know, loving being on the other side left her parentless in her mind. So I don't know. I, I need to have a conversation with her about that and just see where she is with it. I mean, she's become an MFT. She's an amazing woman and an amazing mom, and she has gifts. And I, I think that's part of it, too, is that I came back to support her gifts. Yes. It would be interesting, and it would be interesting, too, to talk to your grandchildren about it because you've had such a an insight into what happens to people uh, when they die that... Uh, Perhaps no religion could provide for them as well as, as your own story. It's true. You know, there's such a, the universe is such an amazing place. You know, there's such a gentleness to, to dying that we are not aware of. There's such a, a blessing in it. it. You know, it's the next stage of our evolution. It's not a loss. It's not the end of something. It's just the next natural progression but our our society doesn't embrace it and is terrified of it and you know part of why i love all of our nde um talks is that it it allows people to see that there's nothing to be afraid of on the other side and there's nothing to be afraid of on this side that's all in our minds it's all in our egos it's not a reality what do you think about uh evil in the world What's your take on that? Well, we always have to have duality. And I think but, it's it's a choice. You know, there's so I, much, I think the, the, there's so much suffering though. There's so much uh pain that people uh especially children have to go through and then you look at situations like ISIS in the Middle East and uh and you've got to wonder why, you know, why why should anyone have to go through such a such a horrific situation uh, my only thought is that their soul is having tremendous growth from it and that was what they wanted to experience I think anytime you have a profoundly devastating childhood it's because you want to hit the ground running and get to the gifts that you're going to be using so I always have to go to 
you know, there is a rhyme and reason for everything, whether we see it and understand it on this side or not. I, I trust in the goodness in life, and I'm not sure why people have to hold on to their, well, it's like the old thing. You can either be happy or be right, and evil comes from people needing to be right. Mm. They don't have the allowance that everybody is creating for themselves and to allow that process. They feel that they have to have it one way and everybody has to be on board. And that's not the truth of how it works. I think uh, politics, religion, and uh, finance all suffer from that problem. Yes. Well, it's all fear-based. And anything that's fear-based is not going to be supportive. And fear becomes evil at a certain point. Do you think we have a a say in uh, how our lives are going to turn out before we're born? I got that we have soul groups that get together before incarnation and talk about the things that they want to work on. So, yes. Now... In every instance, you know, in every moment, we have a choice because we have free will. Do we want to choose door A or choose door B, you know? And all roads are going to lead to the same thing. But, yeah, I think we have lots of choice. Is there an overall plan set in motion before we come in? Yes, and we are privy to that. It's like the universe explains, you know, well, this is what's going to happen, and this is what you're going to experience, and it. And for us, it's like, okay, that's what I'm signing up for. But we forget that connection when we come in. Somebody once said, it's coming through the birth canal that you lose the memory. I don't know how true that is, but it seems kind of cool. (laughs) Do you think that there's a free will in life, or has every uh, event already been written? Oh, I think we have free will. And I don't think that we are allowed to be messed with. In other words... I know that spirit has my back all the time. I know the universe is is conspiring on my behalf at all times, but I have free will. I can muck it up, or I can do what's going to support me and move me forward. And do you see um, NDEs and the and the recognition that uh, NDEs are beginning to get in the world with movies like? Uh, uh, Heaven is for real, for example. Uh, do you think that this is going to change uh, society's perception, not only of death, but also of how we should be living our lives? Oh, I hope so. I mean, that is my greatest wish in the work that I do, is to let people know that we are loved unconditionally, that there isn't anything uh, to be afraid of, that we're all in this together, so let's be the best of ourselves. Let's do it so that it's supporting us, not not hurting us and not denigrating us. And if someone wanted to uh, to work with you in order to clean up some problems in their lives, um, what could you do for them and how can they get in touch with you? Well, I'll give you the how to get in touch with me first. Uh, it's guidingyourspirit.com. And my phone number and everything is there, and they can email me. Um, what I can do is to help them understand what's really happening 
to them because that's what they feel. They're in pain. And reframe all of that. You know, when we change our perceptions, we create a new reality for ourselves. And I, I can do that for people. And I also, through the, the vibrational healing, I can help remove the blocks and barriers that are keeping them stuck in, in experiencing the same thing over and over again. You know, we all want to be connected and, and hearing good information coming from spirit instead of listening to the monkey mind. And that's what I coach them to do. Wow. Well, it looks like we're just about out of time for today, Diane. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being on uh, NDE Radio. Uh, Diane Sherman, spiritual life coach, intuitive counselor, vibrational healer. And uh, if you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, check out their website. I-A-N-D-S dot O-R-G. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. Thanks for listening.